Verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he'd been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with the Lord. It's a fascinating piece of the Bible, and I've been doing a fair amount of reflecting over the last weeks and months, as we all have, about what it means to have skin, about what it means to have skin of a particular color, about what it means to be identified by our skin, by the physical appearance of our skin. And normally, when the Bible talks about issues that we would interpret as racial issues or issues of different ethnicities, the Bible uses the the term nations. Nations is the biblical word for ethnic backgrounds. So people that are black are from one nation, people that are from white are from a different nation or variety of nations. And we've been talking in the breviary the last couple of weeks about some of those key passages concerning how we're meant to treat foreigners and strangers, how we're meant to treat people who've got a different ethnic or, or racial background than us. And of course, the clear, the clear teaching of scripture is that every human being, regardless of what they look like, has been made in the image and likeness of our creator. That we are, all of us, equal, all of us deserving of dignity, authority, and responsibility because we are Imago Dei. And right now, we've got some work to do to sort some of that out. We've got some work to do to reverse some injustice and some oppression and some deep hurt that has gone back a long way. But that doesn't mean that our biblical work is done. In fact, for you and I, we've got lots and lots and lots to explore as we endeavor to become the people God has designed and destined us to grow into as we mature. And in order for us to continue along the path to mature spiritual development, we have got to continue searching the scriptures for new insight and new understanding into how we move forward and where we're supposed to go from here. So some of my research in the scripture has really uh, led me to the idea about skin. I realized, man, every time I, I go to the word and I look at issues of race or difference or equality, I'm usually looking at the word um, ethnos or the word nations, and I, I wonder what the Bible has to say about skin. And Turns out it has a lot to say about skin. And so I want to do that today. I want to explore a theology of the skin, a theology of touch. And I'll use those two terms interchangeably because you can't get touched without skin and your skin is always touching something. So skin and touch we'll use interchangeably. And I want to look at four aspects of the Bible that talk about skin and give us education about what it means for us to be in skin, living here as the people of God, trying to live together, trying to make sense of how God wants us to be and how God wants us to conduct ourselves in our skin. And of course, skin, pretty important part of the Bible. Skin is the first touch, the touch is the first sense, pardon me, that we develop in utero. In fact, by six weeks, a baby can feel and respond to either in aversion or in yearning uh, physical touches uh, in, in the womb, the, the stroke of a doctor's, a doctor's tool, etc. And And I go, that, that tells us something. Before we can taste, b- before we can hear, 
before we can speak, before we can see, we, we can touch and be touched. Our skin is like the, the exterior nervous system of our body. And, and just any piece of skin on your body that's the size of a quarter, I don't know if you can see that there on the camera, but any, that, that just this big, that this contains millions of cells and roughly 30 feet of blood vessels. It contains anywhere from 100 to 340 sweat glands. I mean, this is an intelligent and highly functional component of the human body. And every four years, your entire body gets new skin. I mean, our skin cells are dying off all the time. They're being regenerated all the time. Such a, every four years, you're a completely new person. You are completely physically new with new skin. So with all this in mind, I thought we ought to examine what the scripture has to say about skin, how it's important, why it's important and what we're meant to do with it. So four things, first of all. Number one, skin is how we present ourselves to the world. It's the thing that people see. So in this piece of the Bible, in the book of Exodus, people see that Moses has been with God because his skin, the face of his skin, or the skin of his face, pardon me, shines. He is a beacon of godliness and holiness. And people can see that not only by, you know, the, the, his, his visage, but there's some way in which what's inside of him is coming out through his skin. Like the old adage, you know, that by the time you're 50, you get the, you get the face that you deserve. That's what's happening here with Moses. People know what he's like. People know what he does with himself based on his skin. And I think the same is with you and me, man. When you have got a life devoted to prayer, when you've got a life devoted to fasting, when you've got a life devoted to the things of God, to goodness, to peace, to holiness and love, it comes out of you. You radiate. That's why there's all that material in the Psalms about the face of the righteous shining or being a, a, a pillar or, or a, a beacon or a, a lighthouse about the fact that you're like lamps of God's own presence here on earth. And so we ought to be conscious of what people see when they see our skin. We ought to be conscious of the fact that we are presenting ourselves in a particular way to the people around us ba based on how we carry our skin. And I know this because as somebody who um, has one or two tattoos, I know that my skin speaks. And oftentimes what my skin speaks is something a little bit scary. I mean, if I'm lifting weights somewhere and I've got my angry face on, I'm wearing shades or a flat-billed hat or something, you know, m moms will often hide their kids away so that the scary, angry dirtier younger brother of Santa Claus doesn't terrify their children. I mean, I know my skin says that. So that means that the inside parts of me have to overcome the outside parts of me. I've got to let the love and the goodness shine forth more strongly than the intimidation of tattoos or whatever else. We, we just have to be aware that our skin is how we present and we have to work in concert so that the inside stuff comes out more strongly than the outside stuff. Because of course, other people are going to judge us on the outside stuff. So we got to give them less to work with and we got to give them more of the inside stuff as it radiates out, outside of our faces. And of course, in the same way that the good stuff comes out, Sometimes the bad stuff inside comes out too. And this does not exhaust, but it certainly touches on the biblical material about leprosy. Leviticus chapter 13, for example, gives all kinds of rules and restrictions and requirements for people who have leprosy, specifically leprosy that God has given them because of their sin, which is so bewildering and strange and terrifying. But the truth is, at one point in the scriptures, God says that the ugliness of a person's heart is going to manifest outwardly. And the way it does it with them is this weird, basically athlete's foot, some gross, dirty, yucky, flaky rash all over their bodies. The skin that we wear shows people who we are. 
And we got to know that and acknowledge it. And we have to work both in concert with it and work to better it, to overcome it, to be something more than just our skin. Number two, skin is the boundary for where you end. Like it's the frontier for yourself, for your you-ness. I mean, I might... I might feel as though I belong to a, a family. I might feel a sense of ownership over some of my possessions, or I might feel like the church is mine. But the truth is my identity is enfleshed. It is encased. I, I am like a sausage of myself. That's it. Like the, where my skin is, that is the border of what's me. And skin is, is an organizational uh, embodiment. It's a way of saying th- this is me, this is mine, and everything out there is someone else something else from some other else. This is why in in researchers, particularly uh, among mammals, um, we learn that it's critical that newborn baby mammals are are licked by their mothers. And I'm reading a book right now called The Power of Touch by a researcher, Ashley Montague. Very popular book, over 300 million copies in print. Um, but, But she says that one of the things that we get most wrong is we imagine that the mothers are licking their newborns to clean them. But that's not the purpose of the licking. The purpose is so that the newborns come alive. They wake up to the fact that that this is them now. Because they used to be inside of their mothers, so they couldn't differentiate between themselves and their moms. But now that they're born into the world, they have no mother to protect them. They have no womb. So they have to understand where they begin and where they end. And in animals, sheep, for example, donkeys, certain species of giraffe, when they're not licked as a newborn, they don't yet know that they're in the world. So they'll refuse to stand. They'll refuse to eat. They'll refuse to, to uh, play or, or, or socialize with the other end and die and starve. I mean, the, because they don't know where they begin or where they end. And I think this is one of the, the, the striking features of Satan's argument with God in the book of Job. In Job chapter two, Satan answers the Lord and says, skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give up for his life. And Satan is is taking a truth and twisting it as he often does, telling God in essence, look, put Job to the test because a man's skin, his life is so critical to to him that he'll do anything to take care of who he is. You know, there's a lot in there for us. You and I have got a lot of work to take care of, of who we are, to identify who we are, to figure out like what, what's mine and what's not mine. What, what are the things that I can control? What are the things over which I have influence? Where are the areas in which I have responsibility? And, and where are the areas that I don't have control or influence or responsibility? We, we need to learn what our boundaries are both so that we don't cross them and so that we don't let anybody else cross into our boundaries so that we can be clear and we can be conscious and we can be respectful. And P.S., if we want this for ourselves, we ought to want this for everybody else too. We ought to respect the skin of others. We ought to preserve the boundaries of others. We ought to make sure that we don't go places that aren't ours to go, that we don't invade spheres or areas that aren't ours, that aren't our business. So we got to be really smart about our skin. Number three, skin protects us. Like, our actual skin, our physical skin, protects us from germs, protects us from sharp or broad injury. It absorbs medicine topically. It secretes waste through sweat, acts as a self-cleaner, regulates temperature, gets rid of toxins in our body. I mean, your skin is, is super intelligent and knows how to keep the inside of you safe. I mean, just think how much more slowly internal injuries would heal if we didn't have skin and they were exposed all the time. 
You, you, you think like, you know, blood vessels or tore up muscles or impacted kidneys. You think any of that stuff's going to get better without, without uh, skin? I don't know, man. The, the skin is, is critical, which is why God is so angry with people who do violence to the skin. Consider Micah chapter 3. The Lord says, there are those among you who hate what is good and love what is evil. There are those among you who tear the skin off of my people and tear the flesh from off of their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off of them and break their bones in places and chop them up like meat in a pot, like, like skin in a cauldron. What, what God here is saying is that it is a great crime to take the skin off of somebody else. Now, I want, I want you to consider that there are ways today that we are either consciously or unconsciously taking the skin off of other people. And we're, we're pretending that we're all identical. We don't, now, we all have equal value, but that doesn't mean that we all have the same identity. And, and a lot of times we'll look at somebody else and we'll impose our values on them, we'll impose our judgments on them, we'll impose our, 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 our pr principles, our prejudices, our, our boundaries on them. And, and you realize that's a way of removing their skin. We have got to understand who we are. We have got to understand who they are. We have got to understand who they are. We've got to understand who they are. And we have got to respect who they are. We've got to appreciate who they are. We've got to protect who they are. We've got to preserve who they are. Not by making us all the same, but by recognizing that our differences make us beautiful. Our diversity makes us valuable and precious. It enriches our experience. So we have to realize that keeping skin on other people is mission critical to being good humans. That's why in, in Ezekiel chapter 37, we see skin as a manifestation of, protection, uh, of protection. This is um, the vision of the valley of dry bones, right? Where, where the prophet Ezekiel looks out over a, a field full or a valley full of skeletons, like just, just bones. They're like sort of mismatched. They're not even all put together. They're just jumbles of bones. And through God's resurrection power, the bones begin to join together to form skeletons. And then meat's wrapped around the skeletons, you know, sinews, all the rest of it. And the second last thing that those skeletons get is skin. The only thing that comes after the skin is the breath of God that reanimates them. But the skin is critical because without skin, they're not protected. Without skin, they're not, they're, they're not even bodies. They're just like lumps of meat. It's the skin that forms. It's the skin that holds. It's the skin that protects. Our skin is valuable, valuable to our identity, valuable to our differentiation, and valuable to make sure that the internal healing of God can go on. Because if your skin's not right, I mean, if you're not protected by it, if you're not preserved by it, if you can't embrace it, if you can't acknowledge its value in others, some things inside of you are just never going to get whole and never going to get healed. Last but not least, number four, skin throughout the scripture is understood to be a means of communication. Now, intuitively, we know this, right? I mean, you come up and you put your hand on somebody else's hand and they feel loved or comforted. You, you come up and give them a hug. They, they, they feel embraced. I mean, we're living in a time where we're dying for hugs. We, we want to be able to embrace. We're just not sure how to do it. I mean, we've got to relearn the rules of consent all over again because now consent isn't just a thing for people who fall in love or go out on dates. Now consent is a thing for everybody always where we're trying to figure out, are they a handshaker? Are they an elbow bumper? Are they a nodder? I mean, what, what, what kind of touch can we have and how will we communicate with our touch? I mean, in Acts chapter 19, we're told this even goes a step further. 
um, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, says Dr. Luke, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched Paul's skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Now this, this description of a prayer cloth clearly doesn't have anything to do with the cloth itself, right? I mean, is there a difference between a handkerchief or an apron? No, it probably could have just as easily been a, a paper towel if they had them or a hammer if they were willing to spare the expense. The, the thing that's got the power is Paul touching it with the spirit of God anointing and empowering the apostle Paul to heal when he would touch something, when he would lay his skin on something. Some of that power was transferred. Some of that power was communicated across great distances to other. And I gotta tell you, this is a really important piece of the Bible for me right now because every day my father prays with a prayer cloth. Many of you, of course, have been praying with us and, and know that my, my father, a little over a year ago, last January, I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. It's, it's very serious. He's very sick. Um, and he was scheduled initially last January to go and, and speak at a conference for pastors and leaders, about a thousand people there. But because of his diagnosis, he canceled the trip. Well, the leader of that conference went out and bought a handkerchief, just a cotton handkerchief, nothing special. Told everybody about my dad, prayed for the handkerchief while holding on to it, and then passed the handkerchief around the auditorium. So everybody's touching it, holding it, and praying for my dad. Then they mailed that cloth to my father over a year ago. And he keeps it in a little Ziploc bag. And every night before he goes to sleep, he lays that cloth on his chest, skin touching the cloth. And he prays and asks God for healing. And my mother places her hand on the cloth. And when we're together, I place my hand on the cloth. My nieces, my nephews, my brothers, my sisters-in-law, our family, we, we, we touch. And the touch communicates. It communicates not only from person to person, but it communicates from the Spirit of God through persons to other persons. Because we are connected through our ability to touch one another. Now, our skin is so important. It's such a fundamental component of who we are. We, we, we take it for granted. We don't, we don't even really think about it all that much. But consider how like, the importance of skin just, just soaks into our consciousness. I mean, you know, we, we rub people the wrong way. Sometimes we describe people as being abrasive or prickly. These are skin words. We can be hard to deal with. We have to be handled. We can be touchy. We can be thin-skinned. We can be soft. We get out of touch. We lose our grip. Sometimes we cling to fragile solutions. I mean, when you really stop and think about it, we need a better understanding of what our skin is and what our skin does and how our skin, together with the skin of all the other people around us, comes together as a tapestry of God's grace for the world. We need to understand so that our actions are informed. We need to understand so that our missiology is complete. We need to understand so that instead of reacting, we are responding to our world in love, in self-sacrificial, dignifying, God-honoring love. So as I've been spending the last couple of weeks looking at all this stuff about skin and the scripture, I, I started asking myself some questions. You know, I made four observations about, about our presentation to others, about our boundaries, about our protections, about our communication. So then I got a, a question or a series of questions that I'm asking to go along with each of these things. So, so first, I, I want to know what people do when they see 
my skin? Like, what, what do they see when they see me? Do I shine like Moses? Like, does the internal radiance of God's glory inside of me come out through, through my face, come out through my, through my body? And before I ever even think about Moses as an example here, I think about this elderly African-American woman who used to come to our church at West Winds before she passed. Her name was Doris Wilson. Many of you who are watching might remember her. But this was a lady that could light up a room, not just with her smile. She could light up a room with her eyes. She could light up with a room with, with her wink. She always winked at me on Sunday mornings, which was very funny to have this elderly woman's sort of preacherly flirt with me. It's just, she was amazing. She was beautiful. She was radiant. And I think whatever was going on inside of Doris is the same kind of thing I want going on inside of me. I want God's presence, God's passion, God's love for humanity to be bursting out of me to such a degree that like, it, it just leaks out my face. That's who I want to be. Isn't that who you want to be? Don't you want people to see God's light shining through your skin? That like Moses, the skin of your face would shine with the glory of God? Second question I ask myself is whether or not I'm clear about what's mine. Like, do, do I know where David's things begin and where David's things end? Am I, am I clear on my boundaries and who I am and, and all that I am responsible to take care of. Um, and, and you got to know that everybody around you has an opinion about what's yours, what's your responsibility, where you need to get involved, what you need to do, how you need to step up or how you need to step off, how you need to get in or how you need to bug off. I mean, people have lots of opinions and they're going to share those opinions with you aggressively. But your responsibility is not to figure out which one of those people is right. Your responsibility is for your own self to understand what's yours. What can you control? What are you responsible for? Over whom can you exert your authority? With whom can you offer some kind of help? What, what can you do? What's yours and who are you? Now those are questions that only you can answer for yourself. But the good news is you've got God's Holy Spirit, God's Word, and God's Holy Church helping you come to an increased understanding of what you're meant to do, of what's yours and yours alone, and what's ours together and what's definitely not yours? Third question I start asking myself is about protection. Like, am I taking care of myself? Am I giving myself time to heal? Am I giving myself time to recuperate? Am I taking care of the things inside of me, trusting in being appropriately thick-skinned, that I'm not wounded by every little thing that comes along, that I'm not crying all the time because I'm so tender, I'm going to bruise easy or I'm going to bleed easy. And I think, man, in order for me to be protected, I got to be healthy. Like I got I to gotta eat the right stuff, both figuratively and literally. You know, figuratively, I got to consume the scripture. I got to consume the prayer. I got to welcome in the Lord. Because if I don't, then figuratively, I'm going to be a weakling. I'm going to be bleeding all over the place, bruised, hurt all the time, can't leave the house because I'm afraid of, of getting contaminated. No, no, no. We've got to be smart about our protection. We've got to be smart about our skin. So again, these questions, I go, do we shine like Moses? Are we clear about what's ours? Are we smart about our protection? And last but not least, what are we communicating with our touches? Like when, when we get around people and we, we physically touch them, 
Do they feel manhandled, hurt, shoved, abused, bruised, nervous, scared? Like you ever have an uncle when you're a little kid and you'd see that uncle and you go, oh, crap, it's the tickler. I hate the tickler, you know? And he'd come over and in that weird way, uncles would start, like, they, they think they're, that you're ticklish, but you're not actually ticklish. You just don't like being stabbed in the ribs by his weird arthritic liver spotted devil worshiping hand jabbing. I mean, what are you doing with your touches? Do you provide comfort, love, healing? Uh, is it possible you're a bit creepy? Is it possible you're handsy? I mean, really, we, we ought to be shrewd and we ought to be ruthless in our own self-evaluation as we discern how we touch other people because touch is important and we miss it. We miss being able to freely embrace one another. We miss being able to give high fives. I'm tired of finger guns. I don't want to do that anymore, but neither do I want to come back to a culture where everybody's got their hands all over me all the time. Um, I don't want to go hang out with Uncle Octopus anymore and I want to go hang out with Uncle Tickler. Uh, I mean, these are just important questions for us to understand Literally, in our physical touches and figuratively in how our hearts and spirits touch other people. So, friends, we got a lot of work to do to figure out what it means for us to be appropriately, holistically skinned. For, for us to be people who are defined by our skin, who present our skin, and who can ensure that everything we have and everything we do, make sure that everybody else has got the same rights, dignities, freedoms, and values as we do, that we use to protect one another. So come on, church, let, let's get in touch now, okay? Let's cultivate a personal touch. Let's cultivate a magic touch. Let's reach out and touch everybody, bring hope and healing and the good news of the gospel of God. And let's do this for the love of the Lord and the good of the world. Grace and peace, friends. We'll see you this upcoming Sunday in the flesh.